Welcome to the Wimlex Show, episode number 26, today with Hans Schäffer, the CEO and founder of Hello Print. The podcast is presented to you by Debt Agency and Spryker Systems, the e-commerce technology everybody is talking about right now in Europe. The moderators are Lena Hackeler from Stockholm, Willem Blom from Amsterdam and me, Alexander Graf from Hamburg. I'm talking today with Hans about the very, very details of the printing industry, the traditional printers and the online printers, and why Hello Print as a printing platform makes so much sense um, in this industry. He was telling us that the industry alone explains for a couple of hundred billions of revenue per year all of the all over the world. So there should be enough room for e-commerce platforms like Hello Print. He shares a lot of details about the printing industry and we are sharing one common investor. Project A Ventures is invested in HelloPrint. They are also founding investor of Spryker Systems. So please learn a lot about the Hello Print and printing industry with Hans right now. Hans, welcome to the Wimlex show again in our camper here at the Debt Festival in Amsterdam. My uh, pleasure. We have tried to do this podcast now uh, uh, for a couple of times. And now finally we meet because we have the uh, same investor, Project A Ventures. Yes. Uh, maybe you can uh, tell the listeners a little bit uh, who you are and what you're working for. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Hans. I'm uh, 37 years old and uh, CEO and founder, uh, co-founder of Hello Print. Uh, European uh, print platform uh, that sells print to consumers and businesses uh, in Europe currently um, with an asset light model. We don't own any printing presses. We're just a platform that facilitates that uh, people from Europe, printers, can uh, sell their printed materials to our European customers. So, and, and how, 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 did it, how did it start though? Wasn't there any platform? Because if I look at the, like, the German market, it seems like there's like hundreds of different places where I can print uh, and that claim to be like asset light. So how, how did the market look like when you started here in the Netherlands? Yeah, so um, I started HelloPrint in 2013. Uh, so barely seven years, six years ago. Uh, but the history goes back a little bit uh, further. I started my first online print initiative somewhere around 2000 uh, in a time that uh, that internet was not on the rise yet. And then uh, back then the whole landscape obviously looked completely different. And it has changed over the course of the last years. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of players in Europe, it's a highly fragmented market, but it's also a very big market. It's one of the largest industries. It's mm. uh, it's bigger than automotive. It's bigger than the pharmaceutical industry. So printing. there's a yeah, it's printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How big is it? Uh, it's hundreds of billions of euros. Uh, but everyone thinks in print of printed paper materials, but print is so much more. Uh, and on your T-shirt, there's a printed uh, label inside. On your watch, something is printed. This bottle is printed and I can go on and on and on here at the festival premises of depth where we are almost all of the materials are printed so the industry is huge uh, and like I said the the way uh, competitors are acting there it's, it's highly fragmented most of the players are having an asset uh, uh, not an asset light model but uh, are vertically integrated with a lot of uh, uh, machinery and we um, obviously did that in a different way uh, our model is based on acquiring customers at the one hand in online marketing and make sure that they are coming back um, by using great technology um, so basically in essence we have nothing with the printed product itself 
And I think that's a big difference when you compare it to yeah, traditional printers or traditional online printers, uh, like I would call it, uh, like the German players, like Fly Alarm, like online printers, like Laserline, Save, Saxo, etc. So when I uh, when I prepared for the podcast, I read that uh, you you uh, you tried to aim for 50 million in revenue uh, in 2018. That was a number uh, from some online dis uh, dis yeah. dis discussion. Can you can, can you give us a rough overview about uh, your company? Yeah, so that was the goal for 2019, uh, sorry, for 2018, and we succeeded in that. It was 50.5, actually. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're on an, uh, on, a, on a, still on a quite steep growth rate. Uh, we grew from, uh, from zero euros in 2013 uh, up to now 50 million euros last year. Our aim is to, to, to maintain a certain growth path, but also to become um, profitable. I think that's, that's very healthy in this, this phase of, uh, of the business. And we're succeeding in that quite, uh, yeah, quite okay. Uh, we're still expanding the model. We're now live in eight countries. We have five countries which we want to uh, to launch in the next couple of months. Uh, we're changing our complete technology stack at the back end. That makes us way more scalable. We're adding a lot of new products uh, to the portfolio to extend uh, our business, uh, both geographically uh, and in terms of uh, product diversification. So yeah, the whole model is focused uh, on, on growth, uh, on healthy growth. Uh, throughout the world and first focusing can, on you guide, can you guide me a little bit to the process? Is it mainly B2C customers you're serving or <laughs> is, it, is yeah. it hard to say? Yeah, so it's B2BC as we would call it. So it's the typical small business owner, one, two, three employees uh, is ordering prints uh, for promotion uh, or mm. for vanity metrics. Uh, mm. Like uh, I like to have my logo or my brand spread out through the world mm. uh, on a promotional product. Um, so that's the typical customer that we are serving. And that's a deliberated choice. Most of our competitors are choosing the more professional segment, uh, the communication manager, the marketing manager, or the graphical professional itself. Uh, but we are choosing for that typical small business customer who was used to order print via a middleman, via a graphical professional, but is now more and more able to do all these things online themselves. And it's our aim to make ordering print as easy as like ordering a book at, uh, at Amazon or ordering shoes at Zalando uh, to make that whole customer experience so, so easy that small business owners can do that themselves. Okay. And because you're targeting these like B2B2C uh, small business owners, um, your expectation is that there's like a, a decent loyalty rate. So if they're happy, like ordering uh, t-shirts with uh, best coffee shop in town yeah. uh, on it, they will come back to order the cups at your service. They're going to order the, the napkins or whatever they want to want to print. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? So can you, can, is there like a, can you give us like rough numbers about such a cohort, like the small coffee yeah. shop owner? What, what, what would an order look like yeah. in, uh, in your environment? How often come he comes back? Yeah. Where did you acquire him or her? Uh, and what does it cost, actually? Yeah, that's a, that, these are very good in-depth questions. So the typical uh, small business owner is ordering uh, print a few times a year. And uh, hopefully we can achieve that it, that, that mm. will be four or five times per year. But on average, I think a small business owner is ordering two to three times a year. And it varies from a letterhead to a flyer for a certain event or the sponsoring of the local football club, uh, some shirts, etc. So low order values, typical order value around 100 euros. Um, two to three times uh, uh, um, repeat rate per year. And then obviously it's the whole game of getting that customer back more often, more frequently and against a higher value. Uh, because in print, um, there are a lot of products that you need to promote your business. Uh, 
but the majority of the products are nice to have. It's nice to see your logo on a water bottle. Mm. It's nice to see the football team of your children uh, doing the warm-up in your T-shirts. It's nice to give someone a lighter with your logo on it. But you, do, you don't necessarily need that. So it's our aim to make that so easy for customers to be persuaded by uh, that super nice way of promoting your business and that they will buy these products at HelloPrint. And, and uh, let, let's say he's doing like an order for 100 or 200 euros ordering like printed coffee cups. Then you send this order to like a coffee cup printing specialist or like a B2B company. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are a couple of, there are a couple of uh, around. Yeah. And then those B2B companies are sending the order directly to, uh, to the customer and you're charging kind of a premium, right? That's exactly how it works. So the network consists out of uh, more or less a few hundred European printers all in their certain niche. Uh, well, we have larger printers who are doing uh, multiple products. They can do paper products, but also signage and outdoor or clothing and textile. Uh, but we also have very niche-orientated uh, players, which are doing uh, very uh, high-end packaging, for example. Um, and that's exactly how it works. So a customer orders something on our platform. Uh, and depending on when he needs the print uh, delivered and where he needs it to be delivered, our smart technique is choosing where it's being produced and who is shipping it. And that combination of a printer combined with a logistical service, that makes where uh, the order is being produced. Okay. And is it possible, like you're seeing on other platforms now, if you're, if you're selling uh, uh, standard lighters uh, at Amazon, you need to bid against other lighter manufacturers. Is it yeah. possible on HelloPrint that I say, okay, this may be an order uh, available on HelloPrint. Um, uh, and, and I do know... Next week, there's some. Uh, I do have uh, overcapacity, so yeah. I, I I'd rather go below uh, the standard KPI I've uh, I've managed yeah. uh, together with you. Uh, please give me that order. Yeah. So that's the whole platform philosophy. Uh, how that works? It is exactly like you say. That's how Amazon is doing that. It's our aim to open up the platform in the next couple of years when the technique has evolved and is being replaced into a more seller central marketplace where people can upload their products mm. um, and from there yeah basically the bidding or auction uh, step is very close i'm not necessarily saying that we're going to do that but it makes sense to consider that typical models uh, to uh, incorporate that in your business Ah, okay, okay, m m makes sense. So, pro what, what do you what do you see or what do you what do you um, experience when you're like connecting a, a local printer? And I guess he's not so strong in tech because he was doing this business because he wanted always to be in printing. Yeah. Uh, so just just getting like the data feed of available printing capacities seems to be very very uh, uh, complex to me. Oh, that is very complex. I think that a lot of people in our company who are now hearing you ask this question are smiling because this is the typical question in our company. How can we make sure that we get all the necessary data from, from these non-tech savvy uh, local printers onto our platform? And that's also the biggest struggle that we, uh, that we had over the course of the last year by replacing or changing our core technology. In essence, a platform model is mainly an inventory model. So if you are able to structure your product data in the right way, make that available, accessible, and easy to manage, 
I think that's a big distinct factor if you want to grow and scale your model. And that's where we have invested tremendously in, in to make that super, super simple and to create an onboarding flow for these uh, non-tech uh, non uh, uh, print producers locally uh, to upload their products quicker. Okay. It's, it's Let, 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 let's look a little bit more in detail on this local print producer. I know a lot of them because uh, I started my career in event industry uh, 20 years ago. Me as well. Uh, so, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was like the yeah. industries we are in like sure. 20 years ago. Today you start an app. Uh, exactly. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a difference. Uh, um, uh, five years later, the guys uh, in, uh, the, uh, started then um, programming websites based on HTML. So, exactly, me yeah. too. So, and, um, We can uh, shake hands on this, yeah, I think. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I work together with a lot of these uh, um, of the, of these. Uh, Uh, printing shops, so to say, and they yeah. did some. Uh, they had a lot of B 2 B orders, but a, even a lot of B 2 C orders, and even my orders, like printing flyers um, for uh, for specific parties, was like let's say three uh, hundred euros or four mm. hundred mark or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they took it seriously. So, um, how big is the share uh, a typical local printer in Amsterdam or Eindhoven would get from a platform like Hedoprint versus the share he's do uh, on direct business? Yeah, that's. I think it's a it's a hard to answer question. But the landscape in print is has changed tremendously over the course of the last 20 years. If you take a look at the Netherlands, I think uh, well, 10 years ago we were having approximately five or six thousand local printers, and they uh, that diminished into I think more or less 600 right now. Okay. So the the shift that has been made there is huge. So you see a lot of consolidation in the higher segment and in the lower segment you see that the smaller the typical mom and pop shop is completely disappearing. Uh, and, and, that, and, and and therefore the machinery of this mom and pop shop is also disappearing because yeah. like the bigger shops are taking over with yeah. better machines. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's literally what happens. Yeah. Mm. So so that that whole ball game has changed and for a very local And small printer, I think it's almost impossible to survive um, if you stay a, a, a general printer. So you either go up in a bigger business or you special, specialize tremendously in a certain niche. Hmm. Uh, if you do that, for niche players, there's always room in the market. Hmm. Uh, but for um, yeah, a generic printer on small scale, yeah, I think that, that time is gone. Oh, okay, uh, but then let's take one of the bigger, uh, bigger ones from the 600. Let's yeah. say there's uh, um, then the shops that in the average like uh, printing uh, business probably employs like 10, 15, 20 people. So running the machines. That, so then you are one. already a very small, uh, small. Printer. That's a small. Yeah, 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 yeah. Typical. If you're talking about the the mid segment, it's between 10 and 20 million euros in revenue. And uh, they can employ more than 10, 20 yeah, people yeah, running yeah. the machinery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and 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 what is the share of uh, of um, um, of um, demand generating through platforms for yeah. such a mid-sized printer? I think it's very limited. Uh, there are not that many platforms. Uh, I think in Europe we are the only real platform uh, which is doing it uh, asset light. Yeah. Uh, I know that in Germany you have Wiermachendruck, uh, for example. Yeah, um, but there were part of the Simpers group. Yeah, it's part yeah. of Simpers group. Um, and yeah, this, uh, one of the Simpress, uh, the CIO will also be in the podcast. Uh, ah, that's uh, yeah. cool. I'm uh, looking forward to that. CEO yeah. of Simpress, Robert. Uh, uh, CIO, yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's a friend of mine who worked at uh, the ah, Auto nice. Group uh, okay. before. Yeah. Cool, yeah. And he uh, was managing director of uh, Fly Alarm before. So uh, I, we, will, we will fact check uh, what you're going to say. Uh, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> we be prepared. I think we, we say that we are the only uh, real uh, online print platform in, uh, in, in, in Europe or maybe 
even in the world. Um, yeah, Remachendruck is doing more or less the same model, but I think with, with a, a limited amount of producers. Uh, so they're not producing themselves, but they are producing uh, with selected uh, strategic partners. In our model, that's, that's slightly different, I think. But in essence, for the customer, it doesn't matter at all. So for the customer, it's just ordering print somewhere. And who's making it? I think that's not important for, for mm. a small business customer. Uh, if the quality is right, if I have the guarantee that it's on time and that the quality is okay, um, and uh, when the, the customer journey is easy to use, I think it doesn't matter where it comes from. But but again, to the to, to the share, uh, I, I will I will um, I will share some experiences with Vima and Dog in a minute because yeah. it's uh, we use it a lot. Um, uh, um, the mid-sized printer, you know, let from uh, from a hello print. How how much of this demand is coming from your platform then? Yeah, that that highly uh, depends on the uh, on the partner. So what we always tend to do is that we, uh, in close cooperation with the partner, design how much work he will get and what kind of work he will get. Ah, okay. So at the end, I. I think a model like this only works when two sides of the platform are benefiting from uh, from the cooperation. So partners are able to tell us, okay, let's say in November, I have a lot of demand in my other business. So please decrease the number of orders that you send to me. That's not a problem for us. Um, certain parties are saying, okay, I'm buying a new machine. Can you increase the number of orders here? And that's also not a problem. Um, so we try to do that in a, in a, in a, in, in the right cooperation and in good balance. So that, that is in essence, I think, different from the larger platforms like Amazon, et cetera, where that works in a, in a different way. But when you disappear tomorrow, for whatever reason, it's not like all the mid-sized printers in, uh, in uh, Netherlands, uh, go out of business uh, because the demand is still there. No, definitely not. And, not yet. uh, we also, we also have a certain limitation, uh, limit on what, uh, a share of wallets a, a certain partner can have from us. Ah, so okay. we will never go above, for example, 15% of their revenue because we think that is an unhealthy situation. I think people, um, partners would, uh, sh should never rely on one or two very strong customers. I think it's not a healthy situation. But what is it, what is in the view from, from the partners? So I, if I was like running like a mid-sized printer, um, 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 company and, uh, with a decent understanding of how platforms are going to work in the futures, I would figure out that Yeah, maybe today you can give me some extra yeah. business I'm not able to create because that's customers, I don't know, in Eindhoven and my main business is in Amsterdam, whatever. Yeah. But in the future, if the platform becomes bigger and there's some uh, uh, margin, uh, some margin uh, 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 arbitrage strategies uh, go uh, yeah. uh, played out on the platform, so I probably will decrease uh, my average margin because my um, my service becomes more obvious, more transparent for yeah. for the whole market. So I'd rather be very very careful how much of my business uh, I want to play out of through a platform. Do, do you see partners arguing like this, or do they only see like additional revenue? No, I think that's uh, on two sides of the platform. That's the case. So at one hand, we say, okay, we, your your share of wallet should not be above. A certain uh, level, but that's uh, the, the same counts for the partners. Obviously, if you are running your business in the in the right way, I think uh, you should you should not rely only on the revenue of a platform. So that can be an additional revenue, uh, but as an additional revenue stream. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. And, and you're saying that you've expanded already in a couple of other markets, not only Benelux. Yeah. How does it work out? Because uh, uh, if you're now on a on a run rate of let's say I don't know one uh, million or, or roughly a high double digit million rate, um, just 
just the amount of people you need to manage online marketing budget <coughs> per market is, yeah. th th that's quite that, that's quite heavy or are there like uh, synergy effects i don't see yet so the way we structured our business right from the start is uh, on a completely centralized way so we always had the philosophy that e-commerce in europe in essence is more or less the same mm. and sure There are differences between the South and the North and between certain countries. But let's say for 70%, the customer is acting in the same capacity in every market. And the rest between 70 and 100 is optimization. So what we do, if we are entering a new market, is being done in completely the same capacity as other markets. So our marketing, online marketing is completely centralized. All paid search campaigns are be, uh, being run in the same way. SEO campaigns are being run in the same way. And basically everything we do with digital advertising or offline advertisement uh, is more or less being done in the same centralized way. So our opportunity cost of entering a new market are fairly low. Uh, we're not building a network from the start in a new country. So let's say if we start Portugal tomorrow, we use the existing supply chain of our French and, 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 uh, and Spanish markets, but even our Dutch markets where we can send obviously packages across Europe also next day. Uh, and we accept that lower gross profit margin that we are then making in the, in the first uh, phase of the setup. And then we optimize accordingly later on. Uh, and that's, uh, doing that in that way. It makes it that the company can scale quite quickly into new markets uh, without investing a lot of money. And, and our whole methodology is being based on testing and experimenting. So, for example, if we step into a new country, let's first start to sell flyers in Denmark with one AdWords campaign with a small budget, optimize conversion, uh, have a good understanding of how the customer is um, uh, reacting online and then see if we can scale it up. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. So that, 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 that's quite a that's quite a cool view on how to get uh, how you can go into other markets. And um, if you like focusing on uh, on online acquisition channels, um, have you tried out uh, then call center approaches? Because I I, I guess like the mid size uh, mom and pop store, coffee shop, whatever, who's gonna print? Yeah. Some of them are not. They don't. They don't have even the idea of like printing stuff online because yeah. they're so focused on their uh, brick and mortar business. Uh, but and it, 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 but if if a phone rings, say I have a special yeah. offer for your next flyers, that that could also work. Have yeah. you experienced with that? Yeah, we've used I think uh, the majority of the 17 traction channels that you have in marketing, mm. uh, and, and we're always trying to to, to test. Um, most of the channels are working uh, in close cooperation with each other. So, for example, if we um, um, get a customer online to the website, that doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to buy because maybe it's way too complex or too uncertain, etc. So we're testing, for example, with onboarding flows if we can recognize a customer online that we call him. Uh, quickly afterwards, when he lost his, uh, uh, when he has abandoned his card, for example, or yeah. has registered but um, haven't bought, uh, but also cold calling uh, 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 is one of the uh, things that can that that can definitely work. And I think in that essence, there is a difference in, in marketing because in the south of Europe, that that is more accepted, or or the e-commerce adaptation rate is lower than in the north. But in general, we always try to be as focused as possible in online marketing by acquiring customers. And we want to do that in the most scalable way. And still, that's, that's search because that's, that's heavily measurable and very scalable. 
And uh, with within search, um, what we are seeing in our B two B business that there's a, a shift in channels. So it's more LinkedIn and yeah. our B two B campaigns, for example, r- right now less Facebook, uh, um, uh, obviously less Google, uh, because uh, yeah. the network effect they are decreasing um, already. Do you see the same? So uh, or is like the, the or is it like five years back though people really start searching on Google for I'd like to print flyers, I'd like to print coffee yeah. cups or whatever. Is it the way? So I think what we see is the same uh, as either, uh, every uh, retailer or online player is seeing. So the cost per click uh, uh, are um, increasing year on year. Uh, so the only way to uh, make a profit uh, in your lifetime is that your conversion goes up or your, li- or your um, lifetime value needs to go up, but that's quite complicated. So you need to test with additional channels. So also we are struggling with, okay, how can we make sure that search is still a relevant channel? Uh, should we add a certain channel to search, for example, calling after, uh, uh, after registering to make sure that conversion goes up and the cost per click or the, the, the CACs are going down? Um, Yes, LinkedIn is a channel, but it's also a very expensive uh, channel. I think for the larger B2B uh, segment where you guys are in, I think it's a very suitable channel. But for small mm. uh, mom, t- mom and pop uh, shops, it's maybe not the most relevant channel. So what do you do with social, uh, etc.? So it's always a, a combination of, of of optimizing all these, these relevant channels, uh, attribute them accordingly, and see where you can optimize. I, I, in, in the podcast I recorded yesterday with uh, um, Ruth Vermeulen from uh, Border.com, I asked him, okay, what is like, what is like uh, limiting your growth? They're growing on a nicely growth rate. Uh, absolute numbers are very impressive uh, how they grow year over year. Yeah. And he said, okay, we, we could grow much faster, but it, it, it's very hard to build warehouses faster. So it's a brick and mortar yeah. uh, stuff that is limiting them. In your case, there's like, you don't need to b- uh, build brick and mortar. So what is limiting your growth then? So what's limiting the growth is basically how you can acquire customers. So for us, the problem doesn't lie in uh, the inventory that we can uh, uh, get from the market. Mm. The technology in between is always a struggle. So how can we uh, make sure that we do that in a very scalable way, but it's not super limiting. The most limiting factor is how quick you can acquire small business customers in a scalable way. Um, And the quicker you can do that uh, and the more efficient you can do that, the faster the growth wheel, as we would like to call it, uh, can evolve. And at the end, a growth model is always a combination of acquiring customers against the lowest price, a conversion rate that's constantly increasing, and lifetime values that are increasing. And by these increased lifetime values, you can acquire more customers. And if your conversion goes up, you get more lifetime value out of it, and you can acquire more customers. So working on all these individual parts of that growth wheel uh, makes it that you can scale up your business. But it's also the limitation. If uh, these elements of the growth wheel are not working uh, or you're not able to, 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 to get the cost per click down or you're not able to get your website in a, in a certain shape that your conversion rate goes up or you don't get your customers quickly enough back or uh, the repeat rate is too low, yeah, then you're facing problems. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, okay, I, I, I believe that. So I think last time uh, um, I've um, I've ordered... A flyer online. I think it was a flyer alarm. No, I ordered uh, uh, for for the kettle business uh, one of these uh, big big signs outside. Um, <coughs> it was very very desktop driven. Do you see like the mobile shift even in your business? Is or is this, I, I know we are stressing like the uh, the cohort yeah. mom and pop store, but uh, yeah. is mom and pop store uh, ordering rather online or on a desktop? So for us, the majority of the orders is still being generated on a desktop. 
that has something to do with the complexity with the file. So mm. in print, you always need a file. But for example, one of the things that uh, uh, is part of our strategy is, is really making that whole journey as easy as, uh, as possible. So we're looking into ways to really get that complexity out of the chain. So everything with regards to the file, that's a complex thing, but then you need to think different. Uh, and if we succeed in that, mobile will be a very relevant channel, obviously, yeah, to yeah, order yeah. something. But if there is a hiccup in the supply chain, like we apparently have with print, because you need that, that file to print something, yeah, then if there is a hiccup in, in a certain customer journey, mobile is not the most suitable channel to use. Yeah. Yeah, because mobile yeah. needs to go very smoothly. But what we do see, obviously, is that mobile has a certain place in the customer journey. So orientation can go on mobile, but the real purchase can be uh, completed on a desktop, for example. Um, and, and you said in the introduction that you're now changing your technical um, infrastructure, not on Spryker uh, yet, but what, what, what yeah. drove the change or what, what limited uh, the existing infrastructure? Yeah. So like in every business, uh, uh, one day after you've built your first uh, piece of software, you have legacy. Uh, and even although we are quite a young company, uh, as we consider ourselves, we're six years old. Um, and we've built the, the company always in a scalable way or with a scalable, uh, scalable methodology, but still you're, you're not uh, completely ready for the growth uh, and the internationalization and the complexity of the model that the model currently has. So more or less one year ago, we started uh, uh, to uh, really build our new uh, infrastructure, uh, our new platform structure, completely on microservices um, within the heart. And that's basically the reason of rebuilding it. Uh, a new um, product information management system, which can uh, handle all these um, product variations that we have. Print is a very complex product. Uh, so for example, for a flyer, you have uh, a size, paper, thickness, way of printing, finishing, uh, packaging, uh, uh, quantity, etc. So that makes it that, that it is a very complex product in terms of product specifications or attributes. And handling that in an international network, uh, 13 countries, um, uh, a large amount of producers. That's a very complex thing. So we needed to rebuild the whole infrastructure around that new product information system. Um, and that's a complex thing. Is, uh, is, is the machinery already like kind of standardized? If there's like a mid-sized printer and you like create an order in your online shop, let, 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 let's take the fly example. Yeah. Um, is there still manual labor uh, Included when the order is sent from uh, from Hello Print to the printer, or is the machinery itself already able to just by the information extracted from the XML feed or whatever you give them uh, yeah. to print it? It highly depends on the the, the machinery that you have, or the printer that you have, or the techniques that you are using. You have a lot of digital printing machines, for example, who are quite able to to yeah to connect almost directly or with a with a small piece of workflow uh, software to to our platform but in general we always connect with our producers in an uh, on an api based way or they uh, make a connection with our supplier portal or we do it via xml it's always uh, uh, what the, what the printer wants and it highly depends on uh, and the techniques that he are he is using and how digital savvy uh, he is because not all these printers are non digital savvy so a lot of the, the the bigger players who are in the market already for years they have made quite some substantial steps over the course of the last years in terms of automation and, and the way they structured their workflow, etc. And these are exactly the, the parties that we are working with for the for the larger volumes. Okay, and and in the, the, the very big printers, aren't they 
themselves on a on a way of building platforms because they want to own a share because now they're understanding like platform economy and say okay yeah it yeah. costs some money but how hard can it be to uh, build a hello print ourselves yeah it's always a very uh, interesting question, but the, also, uh, the question also counts the other way around. Shouldn't the online printers or platforms produce themselves? And I think for us, the answer is super obvious. It's always no, because it's a completely different ballgame. Uh, for a printer who wants to step up the game into the online playfield, yes, for sure, that's possible in terms of technique. It's not a problem anymore. That was the big problem, I think, or the challenge years ago. But setting up a website, make sure that you uh, are visible online and offer your products is not the most complex thing in the world. But making a profitable living uh, out of acquiring customers online, let them come back um, uh, and, and, and make a, a return on investment on it, that's something different, I think. Um, it is an interesting uh, development that we currently see in the more mature markets, um, uh, for example, in the Netherlands, that certain traditional printers are stepping up the game now and are trying to go more into the end user channel to see if they can get a, a bigger piece of the pie with, with some, some more revenue to cut out a certain part of the chain, the platform in this particular case. The, 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 um, the bigger printing businesses, yeah. how profitable are they? If you're like running on a printing business, creating like 100 million in revenue, which you say is only a very tiny part of the yeah. whole industry, which is hundreds of mil uh, billions yeah. in, uh, on the world. The yeah. world's like they're... Their EBITDA margin. I don't know it by heart because I'm not a printer. Uh, I've heard rumors that my uh, my German colleagues uh, are making quite a good profit uh, on the EBITDA level, obviously before the depreciation uh, of the they, machines. They, they must because if you yeah. if you if the fly alarm, for example, uh, guy he's known for driving very very expensive cars and uh, and uh, giving a lot of money to the local football club Würzburg. Didn't yeah. play out for first Bundesliga, but uh, <laughs> yeah. will come. There must be some money. Yeah, yeah, and I see more and more printers doing like a. Uh, first league football um, um, banner ad advertising yeah. to say, okay, that's the highest, uh, that's a, that's the highest untargeting uh, uh, campaign uh, you, you can drive in your in your market. So there yeah. must be some margin still in there for bigger printers. Sure, I think it's uh, uh, it's it's still very profitable business for uh, if you do it in the right way. I, you're mentioning fly alarm. Torsten is, uh, I think, a great example of a, of a super good entrepreneur who's built up the, the whole fly alarm business himself. A lot of respect for that. Uh, and in that capacity, he is very well structured with his company. It's very well automated. Uh, it's uh, um, the brand is being established, and sure, if you do that properly, and he's in the business for already 15 years, I think, with Fly Alarm, uh, yeah, then you can make a decent profit out of it. Yeah. Okay. What is in the next steps for for your business? A part of like, I think, growing like 50%, 100% per year, whatever your target growth is, is it complicated enough? Uh, well, that would be uh, a but, nice uh, target, but it's not that high anymore. But, 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 yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, even like 20%, <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that, that's yeah. hard to do. Though, what's the next big thing apart from like platform uh, rebuilding? Yeah. Well, actually, it is the platform rebuilding because if we have built the platform in the way we uh, uh, have uh, 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 made the architecture out of it, then that opens up uh, the model of HelloPrint uh, to the whole world. That's one of the aims that we want to uh, do. So more markets? Uh, so so to more markets. So mm -hmm. launch our HelloPrint.com model in basically every country in the world. Um, uh, extend the product portfolio massively because there are still a very uh, big uh, 
uh, amount of untouched categories that we're currently not doing. So we're not good in packaging, we're not doing workwear, we're not in 3D printing, and, uh, and I can go on and on with that. So extending the current product portfolio in combination with the ge geographical expan expansion, um, that uh, would lead eventually to, yeah, to a faster turning of the growth wheel, uh, which is currently our aim. That's cool. How many people are working at uh, Hellprint? So we have um, approximately 120 people in Rotterdam, where we have our headquarters, where tech, marketing, and, uh, and supply is being uh, uh, located. And we have approximately 100 people in our international customer service center in, uh, uh, in Valencia. And then we have some small local sales offices. Why is it uh, located in Valencia, the customer service? Yeah, that's quite an interesting and long and fun story, I think. Uh, when we uh, uh, started internationalizing the model, we, had, uh, we wanted to test it in two uh, different ways. Uh, first, we wanted to have a centralized approach from Rotterdam, launching one country with a high e-commerce uh, adaptation rate comparable to the Netherlands. Uh, that was the UK. So we did that from the from the Netherlands, fully centralized. And we thought, okay, if we want to test how these models are comparing to each other, let's also take a complete local approach. And one of my best friends, Robin, uh, was uh, 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 moving to Spain with his wife. Uh, and he had a very good business development role at uh, one of the bigger energy uh, firms in the Netherlands. And we came to the agreement to test it over there, to take that local approach with a local team. Um, but eventually, it turned out that the centralized approach was way better. But we had a small customer service team there. And then the first English guy came in there. And then we thought, okay, maybe we can scale this up. It's an international city. The weather is nice. The salaries are okay, and uh, it's attractive for students to work there. And then we started to build up the scalable model over there, uh, and eventually in 2017 moved the whole customer service operation to there. But there's one reason behind that, and the reason was that in the Netherlands we saw that growing your business with a growing team is complex on itself. But if you combine a culture of freedom and responsibility and context versus control with a lot of independency, that's something that we want to have in a Rotterdam team with a culture of customer service where basically everything is quite strict. It's processed. Ah. There's not a lot of uh, freedom and uh, responsibility because the phone rings at a certain uh, time uh, uh, on the day. You need to be there, etc. The combination of these two cultures is not the best combination. Ah. So we took the cell approach and we said, okay, in Rotterdam, we have that culture of freedom and responsibility uh, of growth, etc., And we have the service oriented culture in, uh, in Spain, where we, have, where we have a different cell under the HelloPrint umbrella, but acting in its, same, in its own capacity and with its own core values. And I think combining these two, that's, that's a, a limiting factor of growing your business. Oh, I guess there's a direct flight from Schiphol to Valencia. Um, yeah, it's not bad to go there quite often. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool thing. Yeah. yeah, that sounds super interesting. Then we should catch up in Berlin next time when you're Definitely. Uh, visiting uh, yeah. one of our common uh, investors. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for your very open answers to my uh, very specific question, but I'm really interested in the printing. It's the best interview uh, I've ever had. Uh, I sincerely yeah. mean that. Very in-depth question. And the first? Uh, no. And the first interview, yeah. <laughs> Thank you a lot uh, yeah. for your time here. Yeah. Good day. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, that was really cool, wasn't it? So we've learned a lot about the online printing industry and I think you know where to order your next flyers. In the next episode, we learn much more about the Amazon SEO industry or the Amazon marketplace strategies from different brands presented by Niels Sündorf from Factor A. He's part of Debt Agency and I was partly co-founder of Factor A. Though this is a talk where you can learn a lot how brands need to behave today 
at amazon.de and amazon.com. 